Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is opened up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I'll invite you to be opening up your Bible to Romans chapter 12 as well. We get ready to devote our attention for these next few minutes to the inspired Word of God. That is what this part of our worship is all about. And as you're turning to Romans chapter 12, let me join in the welcome from earlier. What a great number we have gathered here today in this assembly. We've got lots of visitors, some of whom are visiting with us for the very first time. We're so glad that you've come to be with us, and we pray that all that we're doing today is, first of all, being found in accordance with God's Word, that it's pleasing to Him. But more than that as well, we hope that it's being edifying to you, that you're being encouraged by the songs that we sing and the prayers that are being offered. And right now as we get ready to open up God's Word, hope that what we'll do will continue to glorify our Father in Heaven. Let's get into the text this morning. In Romans chapter 12... I'm reading here in verse 11 in this great list of all these great qualities and characteristics of what a Christian ought to be. We read in Romans chapter 12 and in verse 11, Paul says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I love that verse. I love what it says about zeal and about fervor. In fact, one translation actually renders that passage, Serve the Lord enthusiastically. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about serving the Lord enthusiastically? Of course, sometimes in our life, that's not difficult to do. For example, whenever we have a baptism, it's easy to get enthusiastic then, isn't it? We're all excited, we're all just pumped up, and we're fired up about someone obeying the gospel. Or maybe when we come to the end of a really great gospel meeting, Some brother has just preached the Word of God powerfully for several days, and at the end of that we're all stirred up and provoked to greater discipleship, and we're just kind of on a spiritual high. Or maybe have you ever been in a worship service where the singing is just, oh, it's just outstanding, like, like it has been already this morning. I find that that's the case oftentimes here at Lakeside. just lifts us up, and we feel like we're right there in the very throne room of God. There's lots of those mountaintop experiences where it's easy for us to have enthusiasm. But let's be honest, it's not always mountaintop experiences, is it? Sometimes we find ourselves in kind of a flat spot. Maybe we've been riding a high for some time, but we kind of start hitting some valleys. And we feel like our Christianity's maybe kind of plateaued and we're just sort of slogging along, have you ever felt that way before? We maybe go through a, a period or maybe even a long stretch of our lives where it just kind of feels like we're going through the motions, where all we're doing is just occupying a pew once or twice a week, and our service to the Lord is just, it's just stale. Then a guy gets up in the pulpit, reads Romans 12 verse 11, and says that we need to serve the Lord enthusiastically. And what we're thinking is, is we're thinking... I'm barely even serving the Lord at all, let alone enthusiastically. Well, what can we do about that? Is there anything we can do about that? What can be done to rekindle our spiritual fervor? Where can we go to get some of that zeal that we are lacking? Well, what if this morning, what if I could point you to an example of flaming hot zeal. I mean enthusiasm and passion at a high level. Something that we could look at and we could observe and we could learn some things from 
And then we could take those very same ideas and put them to work in our own lives as we seek to serve the Lord and walk with Jesus Christ. Would that maybe help us today? Well, if so, then let me direct your attention for a few moments to a little event that began this past weekend and in fact will continue on for the next couple of weeks. Let me invite you to look no further today than a little event known as March Madness. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last couple of days, then you know that the men's and women's college basketball tournaments got underway just a few days ago. And to say the least, the games have been absolutely thrilling. All kinds of close games, all kinds of upsets, all kinds of buzzer beaters and drama just in these first couple of days of the tournament. And there's more to come even this afternoon. I'm looking forward to sitting down and watching some of that this afternoon. And one of the things that makes those games so exciting and really what makes this time of the year my favorite time of the year on the sports calendar are all those people right there in those pictures. And who are those people? Well, those are the fans. Those are the people who are willing to load up in their vehicles and they will travel 2,000 miles west from Lexington, Kentucky to Boise, Idaho to see their Kentucky Wildcats play in the first round in hopes that they'll make it to the second round, which they did. These are the people who pay big money. We're talking maybe hundreds, maybe even thousands of dollars to go sit in an arena and watch ten guys throw a leather ball through a metal hoop as many times as they can. These are college basketball fans, and I know we've got some of Those kinds of people even in this room right now. And as you can see just from those pictures, these folks have, they have that enthusiasm. There is zeal, there is passion, there is fervor clearly evident in these fans as they root on their team. And of course, it's not just limited to college basketball. I'm really just using that because that's what's going on this time of year. It's in professional sports. It's in high school sports. It's even in some of those little league and AAU leagues. It's in sports of every kind. Whether we're talking about basketball or baseball or football or soccer, you name it. Sports fans are some of the most die-hard, some of the most devoted, some of the most passionate people on the planet. You know, sports are a pretty big deal here in the United States. And whenever people find themselves a team that they like and they want to root for, they sometimes will demonstrate their fanaticism in ways that, to some degree, actually is to be admired. And this morning, I do want to do some of that admiring. I want to actually look at sports and see what we can what we can learn from them by observing the enthusiasm of sports fans. Unless somebody's thinking to themselves right now, Josh, what in the world are you doing this morning? What are you doing to the pulpit? Preaching sermons about sports from the pulpit? Come on, what's going on? Well, I would remind you that the Bible regularly uses sports and athletic competitions and the games as an illustration for our walk with God. I think about 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, where Paul talks about the athlete and how he exercises self-control. He talks about the runner in the race. He talks about the boxer who has to practice self-discipline. There is so much that we can learn from the world of sports, and yes, that includes learning 
from those who are the spectators, those who are the fans, and what we can learn from them about serving Jesus in an enthusiastic way. Now, before we get into that, let me just hit the pause button right now. And let me see if I can rescue this sermon from a couple of folks that maybe is thinking right now, I don't care about this sermon. I don't care about sports. I don't like sports. I don't watch sports. not interested in sports. I'm not going to get anything out of this lesson. Well, please don't say that and please don't panic. There'll be no discussion this morning about how to turn the 643 double play. There'll be no discussion this morning about how to pick up his own blitz in football. There'll be none of that today. You, in fact, don't need to know anything about sports as long as you understand that there is such a thing as sports and people watch sports. That's really about all that you need to know. You'll get plenty out of this lesson. And I should say as well that if you think in this lesson I'm going to spend some time bashing sports, about how sports are just they are so awful, they're terrible, there's all kinds of greed associated with that, sports just consumes people's lives way too much, eh, that's not exactly the direction I'm going this morning. We certainly could talk about those things. We certainly could talk about people's obsession with sports and virtual idolatry with sports these days, but... That's really a whole other lesson for a whole other time. What I want to do this morning is I want to talk about some of the more admirable qualities of sports fans and see if we can get some of that to translate over into us having a greater zeal and fervor and enthusiasm in our service to the Lord. I want us to see really the similarities between how enthusiastic, devoted sports fans are of their teams And how we as Christians should be in our service to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Are you ready for that? Let's just begin that this morning by thinking about about who these people are. When we call them fans, that's really just the shortened form of the word fanatic. These people are fanatics. Every conversation you have with them. It starts by them talking about their team. Their whole lives revolve around their team. Their calendar has all the games marked off and their schedule worked around their team. Their house is filled with all kinds of officially licensed merchandise and paraphernalia of their team. In fact, one fellow actually, I was doing some reading, he told of a couple who missed their daughter's wedding. Missed their daughter's wedding Because she was getting married during the Alabama-Tennessee game. Wow! What about that? Those people, these people are serious. If you say something about their team that's not nice or not good, they're going to take that as fighting words. Why? Because they are dedicated to their team. Now, if sports fans can publicly display their allegiance and their affection for their team, then what about you and I? What about you and I as Christians? What about our allegiance and our affection for Jesus Christ? Where is our acknowledgement and our public showing of that? That's a fair question, isn't it? You know, we might question the sanity of someone who would miss their daughter's wedding for a football game. That seems a little bit over the top, and it is over the top. But who wants to say, hey, you know what? I think your zeal for Christ, it's a little bit over the top. 
I think you love Jesus just a little bit too much. You need to scale that back up. Who wants to say that? None of us are going to say that. We're talking about Jesus here. Who's going to put a boundary, put limits on the love that we would have for Jesus? None of us are going to do that. You think about what Jesus did. We've already sung about it this morning in the Psalms. It was mentioned in the prayer. Jesus Christ left heaven. Left the perfections and the glories of that place. Jesus came to this earth of sin and sadness and darkness. That alone is astonishing to me. And when Jesus got here, He was not well treated. They murdered Him. And you know what? Jesus allowed that to happen. He allowed that to happen so that He could be the sinless sacrifice for your sins and for my sins too. And unlike any sports franchise, have you ever thought about this? People get so consumed with their teams and they love their team so much. Guess what? Your team doesn't love you back. Those sports franchises, the players and the owners and the executives, they don't know you. They don't even know you exist. Yet people get so consumed by that. They don't know you, but guess what? Jesus knows you. He does know who you are. And He does care about you. He died for you. And He has given you His undying devotion. And so it is fair for us to then ask, well, what about our devotion to Him? Isn't He worthy of our total and complete adoration and allegiance? If people can be crazy for a sports franchise... Can't we have some of that same kind of fervor for the Lord? Now, I want to be careful here. I throw out the word crazy there. I'm not advocating being crazy Christians. You know the kind of nut jobs that sometimes you do see at sporting events? I'm thinking about those fans that show up to Green Bay Packers football games. Those guys were up in Green Bay where the temperature is like 400 degrees below zero. And these guys take their shirts off. And they're wearing green body paint. And they've got cheese on their head. And they're out there dancing in frigid weather. I'm not saying be like that guy. I'm not saying be some kind of a nut job for Jesus. But what I am talking about is I'm talking about how people are very devoted to their teams. And that's manifested in the way that they live. They speak unapologetically about their team. They cheer and root for their team. They follow their team. They're following it on their phone at every given second. They love their team. Can I ask you, does any of that sound like your relationship to Jesus? Do you speak unapologetically about Jesus? Your neighbors and your friends, do they even know that you're a Christian? Can they tell by the way that you talk? Do you look for opportunities to bring Jesus up in your daily conversation? Do you plan your calendar and your schedule around the activities that Jesus would be involved in, like worship? We've got a gospel meeting coming up here in a few weeks. Do do, do we do that for Jesus? If someone were to say something derogatory about Jesus, start putting Jesus down, would you jump in there and say, no, you can't say that. Would you stand up for Jesus? You know, maybe the passage that we need here is in Matthew, the 10th chapter. Would you find Matthew chapter 10? In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus tells us that being a follower of Him, part of that is a willingness on our part to publicly display our allegiance and affection for Him. In Matthew chapter 10, I'm looking here in verse 32. 
In Matthew 10 and in verse 32, Jesus says there, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. How devoted am I to the Lord? When I compare how fans feel about their team to my devotion to the Lord, who ought to be in the lead in that race? It ought to be us and it ought to be our devotion to Jesus. But I wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes if maybe Jesus looks down from heaven and He sees that overwhelming enthusiasm that people have for their sports teams. And I wonder if Jesus says to Himself, I wish my people had that kind of enthusiasm for me and for my things and for my kingdom. As we're thinking about that, maybe we ought to say something about attire. You ever notice the attire of really devoted sports fans? You ever notice how sports fans, how they, how they dress? When I was in eighth grade, I saved up all of my allowance money so that I could go out and I could buy a number five Kentucky Wildcats jersey. Go ahead and laugh. Get it out of your system now. I realize there's a lot going on in that picture and a lot of it really just can't be explained. But during my 8th grade year of high school, Travis Ford was a senior at Kentucky. And Travis Ford, he wore number 5. And being a fellow Kentucky boy, and being short, Travis Ford was short, and at that time I was still really short, I gravitated toward Travis Ford. And so I wore that jersey with pride. In fact, on some occasions, I would wear that jersey two or three times a week to school, and I didn't even make any apologies about that. Well, why did I wear that jersey and why did I wear it so much? Is it because I wanted to be on standby just in case Travis Ford went down with an injury and my hope was Rick Patino would call me up and say, hey, we need a number five to plug into the game. Josh, can you do it? No, that's not the reason that I wore that jersey. I wore that jersey because at that time I looked up to Travis Ford. He was my favorite college player. And just like so many other fans all over the world, who buy the jerseys and they buy the gear of their favorite player, I wore that jersey because I admired him. I idolized him. I wanted to be like him. You know what? That's what fans do. Fans want to emulate and look like and be like their heroes. You know, Americans may not go visit down at the Temple of Baal, But we sure do flock to sports stadiums to see our idols today, don't we? We wear their jerseys because we do. We want to look like them. We want to be like them in every way that we can. My favorite baseball player as a youngster was Mark McGuire. He was red-headed. So we already had that in common. I felt bonded to him. But I used to kind of take it a step further. I used to try to swing my bat, stand in the batter's box exactly the way that Mark McGuire was. I wanted to do it his way. And I'd even go around and I'd give people the, the Bash Brothers forearm. People who didn't even know what I was doing. Hey, give me a Bash Brothers forearm. Why? Because Mark McGuire did that. He was my hero. Do you remember that ad campaign that Gatorade ran back in the 1990s? They show those clips of Michael Jordan doing all these amazing slam dunks through the hoop. And then at the end of the commercial, he'd slam dunk a Gatorade drink. And then what was the jingle that went along with those commercials? If I 
If I could be like Mike. I want to be like Mike. And there it is. As fans, we want to be like that athlete that we put on a pedestal and that we idolize. Can you see where I'm going with this in a spiritual way? If you're still there in Matthew chapter 10, just bump back up in the text. Look in verse 24. In verse 24 of Matthew 10, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. Do you understand that the very essence of Christianity is that we transform ourselves to be like Christ? That is the goal of this whole thing. John actually tells us such. Would you look in 1 John, please? In 1 John chapter 2, there in the beginning of John's epistle, in 1 John chapter 2, look in verse 6. In 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 6, John says, Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Understand very clearly, this is the goal of Christianity. Are you doing that? Are you being like, looking like, walking like Jesus? I hope you understand that when we talk about looking like and acting like and being like Jesus, we're not talking about like physical appearance wise. We're not talking about, you know, putting on a long robe and wearing sandals and growing out a big long beard like we kind of assume Jesus looked like. No. We're talking about living like, acting like. Talking like, thinking like, doing like Jesus does. That everything about my life, it needs to be evaluated under the microscope of WWJD. What would Jesus do? Is this how Jesus would act? Is this what Jesus would do in this circumstance? How would Jesus handle this particular situation? I need to be like the Master. If someone is rude to me, well, how would Jesus handle that situation? If the waitress at the restaurant, if she messes up my order, and sometimes we act like that's just the worst thing that could possibly happen to us, how would Jesus handle that? How would He respond in that moment? If I am tempted to sin, I need to ask, what would Jesus do here? How would He get out of this situation? How can I be like my hero? You know, that's how it works in sports. When the hero does something that's heroic... Everybody just wants to be like him. A couple years ago, I don't know how many people watch golf, but I remember a couple years ago, Bubba Watson, he won the Masters Tournament. And he won that tournament with a very bizarre golf swing that involved him shaking his leg, and it kind of looked like he was doing the Elvis thing, the Elvis leg thing. And when, you know, he won the Masters, and that's kind of the, the pinnacle of golf. The next day on the driving range, don't you know it? There were millions of amateur golfers out there doing that swing, looking like they're having just a big epileptic fit out there on the range. And why? Because, well, if Bubba does it, well, well, then I'm going to do it too. Well, you know what? If we're so devoted to Christ as we claim to be, then doesn't that mean we're going to do things like Jesus does things? Talking here about the idea of doing what our heroes do, maybe it's a fair question to ask. Is Jesus even your hero? That's a, that's a challenging question. Is Jesus my hero? 
And when I say Jesus is my hero, I really mean that word hero in the fullest sense, the fullest meaning of that word. He's so much my hero. I want to be just like Him. You think about how that then ought to affect everything that you do in your life. Think, for example, where will you be tonight at 6 o'clock if you're doing what Jesus would do? The answer to that ought to be pretty easy. What will you say this week to your non-Christian neighbor who maybe lives next door to you and you know they're lost, they're in sin, they're on the fast track to hell. What are you going to say to them this week if you're going to do things the way Jesus would do things? This week, how much Bible reading are you going to do and get done if you're going to do things the way Jesus did things? I'll ask you again. Is Jesus your hero? And if so, then doesn't that mean that we want to imitate Him in every possible respect? You see, sports fans, it's teaching us some things, isn't it? It's teaching us about zeal and how to demonstrate that zeal even in our walk with God. Just like this third idea. What about how fans sometimes get so wrapped up, so worked up in their team? That they stake all of their hopes and all of their dreams on the team. Now think about this. From 1908 to 2016, Chicago Cubs fans were hoping and dreaming, and I think some of them were probably even praying, that their team would finally bring home a World Series championship. Do the math on that. For 108 years. They had seen every other team in Major League Baseball win the World Series as the Cub had to endure the longest, the longest championship drought in Major League history. In fact, Cubs fans actually very genuinely believed that their team and indeed their entire city was cursed. We're just cursed. That's why nothing's going to... We're never going to win this. But they believed that the curse could be lifted if their team would just win the World Series. And then finally, in October of 2016, the Cubs made it to the World Series. And that was quite a milestone. And then on top of that, they won. They won in Game 7 during extra innings of that game. And Cubs fans, they were elated. They were relieved in lots of ways. There were people who were openly weeping tears of joy about that. And why? Because they were so invested in their team. They believed that their happiness was dependent on whether or not their team could bring home that championship. And you know what? That's how it goes a lot of times in sports. Sometimes riots break out in a city whenever the team loses the big game. Conversely, whenever a team wins the big game, there'll be several days of economic prosperity. People are excited. It brings just a higher morale. People are on the highest of highs in that city or maybe even in the whole state. It's all about winning. And so we stake everything in our lives on winning. But could you find a text that I referenced a little bit earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? I mentioned this verse a moment ago in 1 Corinthians 9. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul actually talks here, believe it or not, about the value of a Super Bowl ring. He talks about the value of winning the Stanley Cup. He talks here about the value of winning the Daytona 500 or an NBA championship. Because it is there that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, look in verse 25. 
He says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. Or maybe your Bible says a perishable crown, a perishable prize. But we do it to receive an imperishable one. Have you ever thought about that imperishable wreath? That imperishable crown? That imperishable prize? You know, I don't care how many crystal trophies your college football team raises. I don't care how many banners are hoisted into the arena of your favorite college basketball team. I don't care how many championship rings your team wins. All of those prizes are perishable. One day all those things are going to be gone and they will be rendered absolutely worthless. As Christians, Paul says, we're gunning for something much better. We're gunning for something far more valuable than that. Look in Hebrews chapter 12, please. In Hebrews chapter 12, once again, an athletic metaphor is used by the Hebrew writer. In Hebrews chapter 12, look in verse number 1. In Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse 1, the Hebrew writer says there, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely... And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. How much of your hopes and your dreams are bound up in winning that race? Winning the prize that's at the end of that finish line? You know, everybody knows what the right answer is whenever the preacher says, hey, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a ninth national championship for our Kentucky Wildcats? Or would you rather have the crown of righteousness that the Lord has promised to His faithful people? We all know what to say, don't we? I want that heavenly crown. That's, that, that, that's what we want to have. But you know what? Saying that, and then actually examining our lives, and seeing within our lives where the emphasis really is being placed, and looking at our day-to-day activities, and seeing what it is that is most important to us, I think we might come to kind of a shocking conclusion about what it is that our hearts really do want. Just ask yourself, how excited do I get about the gospel? How excited do I get about maybe getting an opportunity to study the Bible with someone who's not a Christian and then helping to guide them along the way and then ultimately seeing that person baptized into Christ? To you, is that a thrill? Would that be just the most amazing thing that you could occupy your time with? You know, I get excited whenever my team wins. Do I get excited whenever the Lord's team wins? Whenever Jesus wins a soul? Maybe on the flip side of that, thinking about kind of how we feel when our team loses. When our team loses, we we feel down, don't we're sad about that. Well, what about whenever the church team, what about whenever we lose? What about whenever we lose a soul, for example, to the devil? And the church then has to take steps and ultimately it ends with withdrawing from that unfaithful brother or that unfaithful sister who's not living right. How do we feel about that? Are we stirred to any kind of emotion about that? Does that bother us? Are we provoked to do something about that? Maybe whenever I'm sitting in the assembly and I look over and I see see an empty spot there where brother so-and-so normally sits, 
or sister so-and-so normally sits and I recognize they're not here again. And it seems to be developing a pattern in their life. It seems as if they are slipping away. Do I feel anything about that? Do I even notice that? Or is it possible? Is it possible that we're just a whole lot more passionate about the victory of a sports team than we are about a victory or a loss for the kingdom of God? You know, even if you're not a sports fan, does your enthusiasm for Christianity, does it match, or maybe even better, does it surpass the kind of enthusiasm that you see on the news during March Madness? Does it match the, and surpass the enthusiasm that you see on a day-to-day basis in the world of sports? Are you as interested in that imperishable crown as sports fanatics are in that perishable crown? All of which then leads me to this fourth and final observation this morning about the various things that sports does teach us about zeal and about fervor. And that is that sports fans, they have a tendency to pass their fandom, they have a tendency to pass that on to their children. You know, Hattie just celebrated her fourth birthday. And I was thinking back to that, thinking back about the we brought her home from the hospital in some of those early days. You know, it didn't take long after Hattie was born that Tiffany and I were already getting her accustomed to wearing the right kind of merchandise, making sure to have on her Kentucky gear. In fact, I remember that picture there on the left. I remember when and the occasion of that picture. It was the night in the season 2014 when Kentucky was kind of making that improbable run to the Final Four. It was the Midwest Regional. We were facing Louisville for a shot to get to go to the Elite Eight, and we won. You see, Hattie was two weeks old at that point. Even at two weeks old, we were pressing on and passing on to our daughter our love of Kentucky basketball. We have taught her to be a Kentucky fan. We cheer as a family. In fact, one researcher, he did some studies about this, and what he actually found is that allegiances in sports teams, it usually tends to run in the family. But what he also found is that whenever a child violates the family sports code and starts cheering for a team outside of the family team, he actually noted some actual noted instances, documented instances of families that were absolutely torn apart. People that weren't even speaking to each other anymore. Why? Because, well, because they didn't cheer for our team. You grow up for a family, grow up in a family that cheers for Kentucky. Don't you dare, when you get out on your own, don't you dare become a Louisville fan. That is not going to go well. A house divided cannot stand. We pass that kind of stuff on, don't we? We pass on that legacy of fandom to our children. Now, can I show you a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1? Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. There Paul talks about passing something on to your children. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, look in verse number 5. In 2 Timothy 1 and in verse 5, Paul says to his young brother Timothy, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Think about that. Lois and Eunice had passed down something that was much more important 
than devotion to the superhero gladiator of that time. Something that was much more important than devotion to their favorite chariot racer. They did more than bequeath to Timothy their season passes to the Olympic field trials. What did they pass on to Timothy? They passed on to Timothy faith. More accurately, they helped give Timothy a faith that he could then make and adopt into his very own. They transferred onto him a deep love for God, a deep love for the Scriptures, a deep love for doing the will of God. You know what? You're a parent. That ought to make you think. Do my kids care as much about Jesus as they do about our family's favorite team? You know, what's always amazing about that is that sometimes sports fans are so zealous for transferring their allegiance for their team onto their kids, yet many times those very same parents, Christian parents, they aren't nearly as zealous to see 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 occur in the lives of their children. Why, why in the world is that sometimes treated as kind of those, you know, one of these days things? You know, I'm just expecting that one of these days a magic switch is going to be flipped in my kid's heart and mind and my child's suddenly just going to be all gung-ho about Jesus and all gung-ho about the kingdom. Why do some Christian parents even try to excuse themselves? They know what they're supposed to do. Ephesians 6 verse 4 is very, very clear about what parents and fathers specifically are supposed to do. But why is it that so many parents are kind of quick to excuse themselves by saying, oh, well, well, we don't want to force faith on our kids. We don't want to pressure them in any way. We just kind of leave them to themselves and hopefully they'll just figure that out on their own. Yet it is funny to me that many times those very same parents are the ones who if their kid walked in the door wearing a U of L shirt, they would say, take that off right now. We don't wear that around here. This is UK town. Why then are we so fervent about sports? Why are we so intent on making our children fervent about sports? And not teach them to care more about Jesus. You know, honestly, if my kids grow up and they have season tickets to all the games and they can name all the players and all the statistics and they know all the history about the franchise and they don't know the Lord, really what will I have accomplished as a parent? And furthermore... What will I say on the day of judgment when I meet my Lord and I have to give an account to Him as to why I did not cultivate spiritual fervor in our home, but instead I cultivated a fervor for stuff that just doesn't matter. We're talking about things of lesser importance. If we can pass on enthusiasm for something as trivial as sports, a game, then how essential is it that we make every possible effort to pass on to our children an enthusiasm, a passion, an excitement for the things that do really matter. Now I hope this morning, I hope that if your zeal is lacking in some way, I hope you have recognized that we actually live in a world and in a society where you can actually get a really quick lesson 
about how to ratchet up the zeal level in your life and see what that really looks like. How you can make that manifest in your life. You know, it's easy to look at sports and condemn that and talk down about that. Oh, it's just, it consumes so much of people's time. It's a distraction for lots of folks. People waste too much money on that stuff. People get obsessed with all that stuff. And all that, all that's absolutely true. But I don't think just absolutely throwing out the baby with the bathwater is the answer here. Because even the writers of the Bible, even they recognize that there was a place for sports in our world. There's some good things we can learn from it. And this morning what we have learned is that sports gives us the opportunity to see real commitment and devotion on full display. You just turn on your television this afternoon, turn it to CBS or one of the Turner channels, you will see commitment and devotion at a high level. And what it's up to us to do now is to take those same principles, take them out of the realm of sports, and then transplant them deep into our hearts in our devotion to Jesus Christ, so that we can do that Romans 12, 11 thing. And that is to serve the Lord enthusiastically. In just a moment, we're going to stand. and We're going to sing a song of encouragement. And that song is designed to invite you, if you have never become one, to become a New Testament Christian, baptized in water for the remission of your sins, as Acts 2 and 38 instructs. And if you are this morning ready to take that step, that initial step in your walk with God, then we are ready to assist you in making that happen. If you are a child of God, and as we've talked this morning, maybe what has struck you is that, uh, my zeal is lagging. I've been in that flat spot, and I've kind of just been content to remain in that flat spot. Perhaps sin has gotten in the way and it's prevented you from getting out of that flat spot and being more fervent in your service to the Lord. Then what we are doing right now is we are encouraging you, brother or sister, to return to the Lord. And we then, as your spiritual family, we will do all that we possibly can to help you to serve Him with renewed energy and with renewed focus. We can help anyone this morning to be in a right relationship with God. And we beckon you through the words of this song. Make your way down front while we stand and while we sing.